0: You know, I would say, and this is something that I spoke about yesterday in our keynote, I would say, you know, the unknown is what's very difficult for leaders. And I'll even speak transparently for me. Um, For the first maybe four weeks or six weeks of COVID, I just lived in the unknown
1: space. Hey, guys, hope you're having a great morning. My name is Jonathan, and I want to welcome you back to the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. For those that don't know me, I am the content producer over at Stay Forth Designs, which means I largely hang out behind the scenes except for the occasion like today. I'm really excited about our episode. Today, Alan sits down and has a great conversation about story and what it means to have a greater story with Sam Collier. Now, for those who don't know Sam, he's a pastor, he's a speaker, he's a writer, and he's the host of the popular A Greater Story with Sam Collier TV show and radio podcast. Now, I think that story is very powerful, and I love the conversation that these guys have. I think that each and every one of us has a unique story, and that our stories are all part of a much greater story, which is God's story. And so I really want to encourage you to sit down, take a sip of your coffee, slow down, enjoy this episode, and enjoy our conversation on today's episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast with pastor, speaker, and writer, Sam Collier.
2: Sam Collier, welcome to the podcast. Man, it's great to have you here. Alan, what's up, man? Such an honor to finally meet you over zoom (laughs) today over zoom an e-meeting if if we're in person i'd give you a corona bump you know but i'll have to settle for another day and another season my man one of those elbows, I know you're talking about One of those That's elbows correct. where you kind of lean in I'll tell you, it's
0: been difficult for me not to hug people I'm a hugger mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I try to, you know I've got close friends that are much more OCD than I am Luckily, I've managed not to get corona Just because I'm so, I'm out there But I go in for the hug and they give me the Heisman, you know and Yeah, so there it's you like, go Oh, okay, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot There you go, <laughs> they're
2: guarding your heart and your health All right, so, you know <laughs> Good thing for friends. I've had a lot of friends who who have had it uh miraculously. I do not believe I have in this season, but man, we've all been affected by um the wow. social interaction piece of that, the leadership piece of that. You've had many speaking gigs canceled, moved online. So that's not a trite loss right there. For us who love yeah. people, being around people, we don't just communicate or speak into people's lives. We kind of gather, and there's a space around us. So, um, for real now, how has that impacted you in this season? Not doing something that you love—that face-to-face interaction—it's been—it's been wild. I think
0: I will be honest, and and I hope I don't sound too Disney-esque. You know, I I, I love Zoom. What Zoom has allowed for you to do. Um, it's it's provided a unique opportunity for me to connect with people, probably in a way that I would not before. You can see comments. You know, one of the things about speaking, and I grew up in the black church, so I love feedback, but depending on which environment you're in, nobody's going to say anything to you, right? You're keynoting <laughs> on a platform and hoping that somebody says something. And you're like, am I okay? And then at the end, you know, they clap really loud. And you're like, okay, maybe that was okay, hopefully. And, but on Zoom, if you ask a question, People can put some things in the chat and now, you know, they're tracking with you or where they are, so on and so forth. So um, I I definitely miss uh, the in-person interaction and just reading a room, feeling the crowd, you know, really getting in there. Um, I did a keynote yesterday on Zoom um, with with a corporate entity, which I know, Alan, you do a ton of coaching with corporate and also Christian and so on and so forth. And um, they just said, you know, after I finished, they said, Sam, that was awesome. We hope we'll be able to see you again in person. You know what I mean? It was just (laughs) kind of one of those moments. Uh, And so, man, I've tried to focus on the opportunities, but it's it's definitely, it certainly has been, I certainly missed it, to
2: say the least. Yeah. And um, you interact with leaders. I mean, we're talking on video, normally face-to-face in green rooms, friends of yours, people just hitting you up via text. What are you hearing from other leaders right now? What's hard for leaders right now in this space? Communicators, influencers, those who are leading other people, what's hitting leaders hard? You know, I would say, and this is something that I spoke about
0: yesterday in our keynote, I would say, you know, the unknown is what's very difficult for leaders. And I'll even speak transparently for me. Um, for the first maybe four weeks or six weeks of COVID, I just lived in the unknown space of going, Yep. hey, like, because if you're a great leader, right? If you're a great leader, then change doesn't destroy you, right? Change is just like, hey, you can pivot and come up with some different things and so on and so forth. Now, obviously, you have to go through seasons of lament and seasons of, okay, man, the change, and I miss what happened before, so on and so forth. But usually what I've discovered and found is that great leaders are able to pivot. They're able to get their emotions. You you, got to, again, lament, and you have to accept those things. But after they get over that, they're able to come up with new strategies. Well, the difficulty with COVID-19 for a very long time, and even some now, depending on when you're listening to this, is you never know when it's going to end. And so it's like, it, okay, I could plan a virtual strategy, but how long will the virtual strategy last me? And if I plan a virtual strategy and then COVID is done, now do I go back to my old business model? And, and so it's really difficult, I think, for leaders, even for for myself early on to go, you know. I want to dump a ton of money and resources and energy into a new direction because, you know, you have to invest in certain things to get an outcome, but it's hard to invest at the highest level. So what you end up doing is investing a little bit in different areas. And that can be very difficult as you try to pivot and create a new path. And so uh, from from the corporate arena to the faith-based arena, leaders all around, I think, are struggling with the idea of coming up with the next wave of things because of the unknown. So that's mm-hmm. what I've found the most. That is the most difficult for leaders. Does that make
2: yeah. sense? Oh, 100%. Are you reading my mail? Man, did you get into my email? <laughs> did you get the password Some. I mean, it's how do you invent a new strategy when you're exhausted? or you're just nervous. I've uh, pivoted twice and it didn't work. Right. And so I just, yeah, I think that's what we're all feeling. And also yeah. just like you say, time, energy, money to be able to do that. What about casting that vision and saying, Oh, here we go. It's a change every single week. Uh, yeah. and I call this the ambiguous summer. What is summer supposed to mean right now yeah. to some, that was when they relaxed and, and pulled up for others, their business had tons of momentum. Churches have no idea what this next wave is, are tired of, you know, zoom small groups or whatever it may be. Others are absolutely seizing the opportunity to this. So man, what a crazy time to be alive, but also to lead within. I'm telling you the mood swings. That's another thing I'm hearing leaders saying from moment to moment, my moods are up and down. I'm normally pretty steady, but Whoa. So it's just interesting to see that front row kind of as a coach, Uh, in that. So yeah, thanks for sharing your perspective, man. I want to dig into your story and I'm excited to hear in August, uh, your book drops a greater story. So we'll maybe preview that a little bit. We'll get you back on the podcast, Uh, but I want to start where it all started adoption and you share how that shaped your story. How has adoption shaped your story and ultimately your leadership influence? Oh man. Ooh, what a great question. This this is not your first rodeo, is it? I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm also an adoptive papa here. So I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm going to be asking for any tips or tricks because our oldest two were adopted. And, uh, if I want to do one thing, well, it's parent my kids. Well, so man, anything you can drop my way.
0: Well, you know, I think to, to, to your point, um, I always say, that if adoption is done well and well doesn't mean perfect right that mean perfect because nobody's perfect we'll never achieve perfection no parent is the perfect parent but if if it's done well and that that to me means that you know, if if you have a Christian worldview, that you're doing all you you know all you can to pursue the glory of God, that you're doing all you can to walk as an as a man of God in the midst of your imperfection. I, I think if you give way for God to come in, uh, then that means He can kind of help you with some of those mistakes that you make and and kind of right some of the wrongs, which which I think He He did for my parents, and you know I think my parents before. They adopted us, they had not been saved. And so they got saved, they met, got saved, and then got married. And then this was their opportunity to do it, right? It was my dad's third marriage. Mm. Um, And so his thing was you know, first one with Jesus, let's do all we can. And so, as they I believe submitted themselves to a Christian worldview and to a lifestyle, uh, it allowed for them to raise us as best as they know how with the influence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian space with a Christian ethic and I think from that um it it created us you know the way that we are. So again, I say if adoption is done well, then um it 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 kind of can fill in. Um, for those holes that many people believe exist in the heart of a kid that is adopted for a mother or for a father. It was my dad's idea to even say, you know, listen, you need to go and find your parents one day. You know I mean? We were 20, 24. I mean, and and, in our entire life, never had the thought of, we need to go find our parents. Really? Never even had the thought, but it's because, I mean, we, we knew we were adopted and the But it was never one of those moments of, man, can we, like, I want to go meet mom and dad, you know. It's like, no, we got a mom and a dad, and we have a family, and we're excited about that, and we're settled into the story. We always knew we were adopted um, from day one, since I can remember. And so, you know, my parents just told us the story. Our mother was, you know, they didn't know much, but they were like, we believe she was poor, and therefore she couldn't take care of you. And so now we're here to take care of you. And so that was enough for us wrapped in with a loving family and a Christian ethic. um, And we just went our whole lives, you know, feeling and knowing we were accepted and loved and did not, did not really even identify with the emotion of abandonment that most adopted kids um, deal with. But it's because I believe it was done well and so on and so forth. So.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that gives me a lot of hope. We have a lot of listeners who have adopted children. Uh, Our oldest two are from Ethiopia, so there's more dynamics to that. They were six and two um, when when adopted. So we're actually coming up on 10 years, and we're reflecting on some of the things along the way that we've missed and that God allows us to, You know, as we have one teenager and one entering uh, the teen years this next year, that gives us a lot of hope because we hear a lot of the fallout stories, but we've seen God use it in so many different ways. So Sam, thanks for letting us peek into that. Can we just peek in a little bit to your next book, man, this labor of yeah. love. You got a baby coming out in August that you have invested a ton of time and energy to just give us a little bit of teaser on a greater story. What's it all about? Oh man. Um, and, and I'm glad you said teaser because if not, I'll be told
0: you the whole book now, you know, six hours come back, later, we finished <laughs> this interview. All right? I'll drop back in closer to August or in August and really drop the bomb, but it involves Steve Harvey and the Steve Harvey Show. And uh, he did some things for us about five years ago that would change our life dramatically. Um, and from that, uh, the story was written. I started telling the story in churches all around the country, um, and now and even in corporate spaces. And I won't spoil it because I'll come back in August and tell you, and I'll drop the bomb in terms of what happened on the show. We'll be ready. But, but as you know, as I as I've told the story, people are crying. I mean, it's it's one of the most emotional stories I think that I've ever been a part of. And, you know, it's one of those moments where, you know, as an entrepreneur, we come up with brands, right? We come up with campaigns and we come up with stuff. This thing dropped in my lap. It was not a, a thing that I want, I was trying to do. It didn't make it into my whiteboard session. It happened to me and North Point Ministries under the leadership of Andy Stanley and Jeff Henderson, who runs Gwinnett, the Gwinnett campus, said, man, Sam, you've got to tell this story about what happened on the Steve Harvey show. Um, and from there, you know, we we just started connecting with so many people that have been adopted, so many adoptive parents and so on and so forth. And by the droves, people would come and meet my parents and they would come and meet me and so on and so forth. And they would just be crying, telling us their story and asking us how their story can connect to God's story and it could lead to a greater story. And that's the, that's the title of the book, A Greater Story. And it is that idea that when your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story. Uh, and, and that that brand or that name actually came from uh, the, the whole title of the series was cast member, that Jeff Henderson over at Gwinnett Church, the North Point campus, uh, said, You got to tell your story within. And that was the tagline. And the idea of Cast Member was that God was telling a phenomenal story and that each one of us played a role in the story of God. But that uh, when we actually got out of the way and surrendered to the story he was trying to tell with our lives, that it led to something greater than we could ever create with our own human effort. And so from that man, the campaign was launched. The churches, are started going around, started the podcast and the television broadcast called A Greater Story, and then out of that came the book. Now, in, in, the, in the book, man, I walk through so many different things. I talk about growing up Black in America and what that actually means. I talk about adoption. I talk about, you know, never really identifying with um, or or being a victim of, the, of, of oppression in America. Because I grew up in Atlanta, um, right on Auburn Avenue, where the Civil Rights Movement took place across the street from the Martin Luther King Jr. Center, wow. where Martin Luther King's tomb and Coretta Scott King's tomb sit above ground. And so wow. I grew up walking past that as a child. And so it was just Black excellence, Black excellence, Black excellence. Mm. And so we knew... About oppression and what that meant, um, and we knew that uh, that it would impact my story, but it, it was never a crutch for me. Just because I saw I was around so many successful African Americans, the story was rewritten. So I talk talk about that. I talk about all types of things. I talk about the idea of purpose and how to get there and how to so on and so forth. So that's a little bit of a snapshot or a teaser of the book. If you want more. You can ask me more questions and I'll tell you, or you can just go pre-order the book right
2: now on Amazon plug. (laughs) There you go. Hey, we're going to have you back on. Uh, I believe I'm on the advanced release copy list. So can't wait to get it, read it. We want you back on the podcast to share that. It's interesting how you're talking about branding entrepreneurs. I mean, like I'll have 12 or 15 ideas while I'm asleep. I'll just wake up. (laughs) They'll end up on paper. You know, most of them aren't any good, but one or two of them may be decent. Right, you know? right, right. So ideas and maybe the things that we dream for our lives end up being nothing compared to what God had. And yeah. so, man, I can't wait to hear how God kind of cracked open the story and, and you walked into it. I can identify with some of the things we yeah. want to be true of us could happen. And yet the thing that we didn't even see coming, we've had guests on the podcast that say, I wish my life wasn't marked by pain or adversity or... Mm abandonment or issues or death, but it is. And this is the message I have to choose. Um, I didn't want to be the burnout guy. I feel like I am compelled to be in this space Mm. because I care deeply for the health of leaders. Um, And a a calling has me versus I have a calling. That's really what I'm hearing from your story. So can't wait to to have you back on. Um, Talk a little bit about threads, so you yeah. do a lot of stuff. you're doing all the stuff, man. So um, what is the thread that runs in the middle of everything that you are doing? Is there a core theme or an idea? Wow, you know that's, <laughs> I mean, I hate to sound cliche. It is a greater story,
0: But, <laughs> but within that, and to your point, you know, I, I believe when we talk about uh, brands, visions, ideas, so on and so forth and calling, so on, you know, however you want to phrase it. I, I always say that purpose, and this is in the, so I'm giving a piece of the book, purpose is more uh, surrendered to than it is found. Mm. And so we'll spend our lives on our whiteboards and we need to be on our whiteboards, right? Like that's how we get what we get. I mean, it's, that's so important, but we spend our lives searching, many of us searching for something that we already are, and so I think the, the the journey of God is getting us to surrender to who he's already created us to be. Um, and, and, and instead of us having to run so fast to try to come up with all these different things, it's more a process of searching our soul for what God has already put on the inside of us that many of us will end up running from because we either, uh, we categorize it as normal, like, oh, everybody can do that, Or we just write it off as, no, that's not what I want to do, so on and so forth. And we end up choosing our dreams over God's dreams for us. And so I think with that, you know, a long time ago, uh, the surrender process for me was understanding. Because I used to do music, and I talk about music in the piece, in the book. I used to do music full time. I thought I was going to be the Christian version of Usher. We don't have to talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) <laughs> we can come back yeah. to that in a
2: second. But... I have so many thoughts that just came in, but the first <laughs> one is, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's I'm just gonna just gonna leave it there.
0: So I, I have every usher album ever created. We can get back to it later. I thought I was gonna be the Christian version of usher. I pursued that my whole life, and then um, I heard a message that that talked about this surrender piece, actually from Bishop T D Jakes, randomly at a conference. And it sent me down a journey of discovery of, you know, who, well, who am I? Who has God already created me to be? And as I started to walk down this process of surrender and talk to some friends, and I always advise to talk to friends because they're unbiased and they can help you understand, you know, people that will tell you the truth about what's great about you. And people would say, man, we love when you sing, but it's something about when you speak in in between the songs that makes it special. I was like, no, wait a minute.
2: <laughs> Is that a compliment or did you just punch me in the jaw? Like,
0: I don't know if you're saying I can't. No, 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 you're good. You know, I remember a friend of mine told me, he said to me, he said, you know, I love when you sing. He said, but if you sing and you don't talk, I, it's just not the same. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Like uh, And so anyway, it sent me down a journey of understanding there's something to this inspiration. People started telling me I had a gift for communication that I need to lean into it. So I started to pursue it. And then, you know, when you go down the whole idea of what breaks your heart, you start asking that question. And for me, what I found that breaks my heart is this idea of people not knowing who they are this mm-hmm. idea and not even not and beyond that once you figure out who you are and you i think you'll identify with this how do you now build a system and a structure to actually live that out in a very tangible way? So in other words, okay, God's called you to be, a you know, create a nonprofit. He's called you to be an entrepreneur. He's called you to be a pastor. He's called you to be uh, whatever it is, a a Fortune 500 CEO, whatever. But how do you get there from day one? What's the first step? What's the second step? What's the third step? How do you, you know, what's the type of teams that you need to build around you? How do I manage my finances within all this to make sure I can Invest and you know what's in that. When do you stop an idea? When do you start an idea? You know, you know all of the different. So that for me, you know, it's, it's and all of that is wrapped up in what a greater story is all about. You know, helping people actualize their purpose, connecting their story to God's story, so on and so forth. And so that is in everything that I do. At some point, it's going to all come back to helping people become the best version of themselves
2: and build the life that God has already put in their hearts. Mm, that's beautiful. So few people will discover that even fewer will know how to take their next step and even fewer will go to maybe a three or 4.0 of having a system that can continue to, you know, leave them in their sweet spot. Most of the week, have a team around them. Uh, we call life design. And so that's why we are stay forth designs. Design is form and function. It's got to work, but it's also got to be beautiful. So the Ikea chairs that look great and then you sit down on them and five minutes, your butt hurts. No, thank you. I'm out. It's got to be, be both. So where's the form and the function inside of it? Uh, man, we could talk about that that forever. Um, do you have a favorite medium? I mean, you do video, you interview people, you go on other people's interviews, audio, speak, I imagine do some coaching, consulting. Yeah. Do you have a favorite medium where you should feel like your gifts really shine the most? Yeah, you know, I, I think keynoting
0: is probably where I feel most alive. I think it is also where people... Get the best from me in terms of their. Mo- Let me say it this way: they they are most impacted by me in more of a live setting and more of a speaking setting. Whether it's on Zoom or live, now that's why I say I miss live because you know it's something about being in the room. I learned how to speak um, from speakers and keynoters, if you will. If that's a word um, that that learned, that could read a room, mm-hmm. that could get the energy going, that that could you know uh, create a sense of hush. And all, you know, so that, so we can create moments. And you know what I'm talking about because you do this moments of transformation in real time. There's one, I mean, Zoom is phenomenal and it can get so much done, but it's something powerful happens when you're in a room with someone and you're Mm -hmm. staring. I mean, I think Tony Robbins can talk to us about this, right. And you're staring at them and you're, and you're, Helping to bring, you know, put a fire in, inside of them. Your energy is transferring to them, and so that you know. And, and I, obviously, I think that goes back to my musical theater days because I used to do musical theater. That's how I really learned about the stage, and so just learning how to move and all that, and li- in the live space, and you know, the Zoom and all that. But the, but the keynoting is, um, and the speaking is probably my most favorite, and I think the most the thing that impacts people the most.
2: Hmm. That's good. What would you tell a younger leader, Sam, who is just experimenting with a lot of things? Uh, maybe unfortunately, they're good at a lot of things, and so they could be the jack of all trades. They haven't found that thing yet. What would you tell that young leader? I would tell them this.
0: I, I see this in in phases. One, you, you sometimes you you got you got to do a lot to figure out what you're good at and what you're not. So so you want to do as much as you can. You you know you want to if you're sitting on that buffet, you want to try every food right? You want to eat everything. And figure, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't Amen. like, right. I don't like the rutabagas. Eh, I don't like the collard greens. Oh, I do like the sweet potato. Oh, I do like, you know, so I think you got to get out there and, and figure it out. But then secondly, I think you got to figure out what sticks. And when something is sticking, you got to stay on that for a while. Because I think a lot of us will will try some things and, and some things will stick and we'll oh, I keep going and oh, let me try and, and it's like well you you got to get out of that phase at some point <laughs> where you're just eating everything and you go all right let me eat a little bit of this let me this is sticking let me stay on that and and it, it's not and that's not to say that you won't go through another round of let me try some different things and da 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 da. because sometimes it comes in phases but here's the analogy that I gave that I give to people when it when it comes to like purpose and figuring out so on and so forth you know purpose. Uh, so much about discovering our greatness is seeing how it impacts other people. It's probably the best way. Mm-hmm. I think you trying to tell yourself what you're great at is a recipe for disaster most of the time because you think you're great at something that nobody does. We believe our own height, we think we're better than we are. It's a hard journey, but if you get people around you that like boom, boom, they'll help to guide you, and you know. The analogy I give to people is this: the voice is a phenomenal. Show and it's a phenomenal analogy for discovering who you are. I think again, I want to say again. I think most of it, um, the discovery process is best, um, or is is best done when you have people speaking into it, not you just trying to do it. And so the voice on the voice, you have contestants that come in, and the chairs are facing away from them, right? And so the ideas that you would sing, and as you're singing someone has to turn around that likes you. And if they, whoever responds is, you know, that ultimately can be your coach and you get to choose and so on and so forth. Well, uh, the idea of purpose kind of works like this. The first thing you have to do is start singing. Because I think a lot of people, they, they, they want to discover purpose, but they want to do it from sitting on their couch hoping that it'll just show up one day. No, like you got to get, you got to start singing. That's right. So, so people can hear your voice. And so you can feel your voice and singing is, is, is an analogy for whatever is if, right. if writing a writing
2: blogging, communicating, speaking for free at any group that will invite you, period.
0: Yes, 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 volunteering, doing this, trying this, going on the basketball court, doing a try, you got to start singing. And then after you start singing, here's the big thing. Then you got to see who's turning around, Mm. (laughs) right? Like who is actually responding to your voice? Who actually likes it? And then you want to pay attention to who's turning around. And even bigger, you want to pay attention to who's not turning around. And so if you can find both of those and you can pay attention to both and and actually go after the ones that are turning around, then, then you'll discover more so what it is that you're supposed to be doing in the direction. And then you have to let, here's the big one, you have to let go of those things that are not translating. I can't tell you how many people I see that have spent businesses, leaders, entrepreneurs, Christians, non-believers, they spend so much time doing what they think they're good at. They waste five years in something that will never be anything.
2: Yeah good and really hard message to swallow because we want to do all the things we want to be good at all the things we want someone to pay us to do all the things. Uh, and the reality is we can't, right? We have limitations. Uh, that genius is, is in us all. We, and we need other people, like you say, to turn around. I love that. That's a great analogy, Sam. Um, other than Steve Harvey, uh, talk about a couple people who have been kind of patrons to you who have opened a door for you, allowed you to influence at a different level? Who are a few people that have opened doors for you to let your influence bloom to the next level?
0: Oh, man, you know, and you just you're like all over the book right now. You're all over it. I love it. Hopefully, you know, the good news is it's a 200 page manuscript. So (laughs) it's a lot that I'm not saying that, you know, you can go get um, that that really helps to connect all these dots, man, you know, the daughter of Luther King, Jr. I write about her. She's been a friend of mine, a mentor of mine for a very long time. Um, and she is, at, she is one of the greatest influences um, of my life. Just the association with her, her belief in me, gave me belief. Um, she's opened so many doors. She's how I got to North Point. She's how I got to many other things. And um, for about four years, we walked very closely together. In um, more of a mentee, mentor kind of capacity, and you know, she was training me in in the things of her father through through the institution of the King Center, um, and that's why I, that's why I really was able to learn about social change and you know h- how you approach things and how you solve issues and how you how you flow in and out of the faith space and faith and culture. I mean, because that's what MLK did so well, um, revolution, all of that. And she taught me that. And then after about those four years, it was time for me to go live it out and, and make something of my name and of myself and, and to try to pay her back for what she did. And, and as I was able to do that or, or just matriculate and God opened doors, then we circled back. And now we, we're partners in a lot of different things. So I do a lot of business with her. Um, we're very close. I mean, we do Thanksgiving together. We do Christmas, so on and so forth. She's someone that has been just
2: a massive influence for me and uh, a life changer. Mm, That's good, man. Wow. And we could dig into that, I'm sure, for a long time. Almost that those leaders have tattooed on your life, that their mark will be seen forever in some way uh, or another. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this cultural moment that we're in, right? It could be in the midst of COVID. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's Ahmaud Arbery a few weeks ago and just the reaction um, to this. Uh, we recently had uh, Ashley Island on the podcast, mm-hmm. a phenomenal voice and communicator, a great thinker um, to talk about her story and about kindness in the midst of this. And she offers, uh, as I would agree, that silence can be a huge gift. Maybe it's sitting in silence to other people. Speaking up on behalf of other people can be a huge gift. Give us some wisdom and discernment in cultural matters, whether they involve the black community uh, of me as a person who's not a person of color, yeah. and yet cares very, very deeply about these things. When can silence be a gift? And when can speaking up be a gift? Help oh, wow. guide me through that.
0: Wow, 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 wow. Um, I, I probably would venture to say, one, I agree. I would venture to say silence is probably your last gift. You probably have the least amount of opportunities to be silent. And when I say silent, I don't just mean speaking out. I mean Dialoguing Doing relationship Asking questions So on and so forth Um, And speaking out Obviously is always a gift I I think One of the things I would say As we As we spend time You know As we talk race relations In America um, I think that The greatest thing And the greatest solution We have And we can if, if you want to go a little bit more deeper on certain things, I will. Just uh, just throw me there. Um, I think the greatest gift that we have and the greatest solution we have to solving the racial tension in our country um, is, is personal relationships. And let me tell you why I say that. And I, when I say personal relationships, I mean doing life with someone that's completely different than you, a different color, a different race, even in some, t- in some cases a different religion, a different system. Um, did, yeah. the reason I say that is because when you look at the fabric of America and you start talking about stuff like institutional racism, you start talking about stuff like just inherent racism, you start talking about stuff like, you know, whatever it is, what it all at the end of the day comes back to is awareness. At the end of the day, it comes back to awareness, education, understanding. Martin Luther King Jr. had a six-step process uh, to Kingian nonviolence, a cultural revolution. The first step, always, before, he said, before you did anything, was information gathering. And that's, that's wild because you don't hear a lot about that today.
2: Right, that's right. That one doesn't catch the headlines right there. It
0: doesn't catch the headlines. It is the most important step, information gathering. And then the, and then the second step is education. And the the difference between information gathering and education is after you've done your due diligence to inform yourself of the, of all sides of the problem, all sides. So not only, so let's, if I'm a black American and I'm going, well, let's talk about police brutality, right? Then I need to go and understand where the police are, what's happening on their side. Then I got to come on the other side and understand what's going on with minorities like, what are you saying is happening to you? Let me fully understand. So we talk about this idea of listening and, you know, silence. Let me understand what you're saying at the highest level. Let me understand. And then obviously let me understand same thing on the police side. But then after you do your education, after you do your information gathering, then it's your job to now go and educate others and the opposite sides on the opposite sides. And after you can educate on the opposite sides, what happens is we all start to see the problem very clear. And what we discover most times is that it's not what we really thought it was, right? On either side, well, that's what's actually happening over there, right? Oh, I didn't think it looked like this from over here, but actually, and and I, I you know, I, by the grace of God, I've been able to stand in the middle. of of both white America and black America, just because of the church, my church involvement. I'm I'm, I'm friends and obviously family, you know, with the King family, but then I'm also, you know, I do a ton of stuff with Andy Stanley and Northport Ministries and we're really close. And so I sit in between both worlds as a bridge. And so because I sit in between both worlds, I really am able to see what the other side doesn't see about the other side. Hmm. And, it's, and it always comes back to just a misunderstanding and distance. And so that's why I say the best thing that we could do right now in our country, and we talk about silence and we talk about speaking up, is become friends with someone of the, of, on the other side. I mean, you just imagine if the majority of Black America that had an issue with police became friends with police. And then if police became friends with, I mean, we would really be able to talk through this thing and go, here's how we actually solve it. The last thing I'll say is when it comes down to policy and institutions and all these other things, usually racist systems that have been in place since like 1930 that continue today, they only stay in place because you have people governing the system that, that don't have any friends of color that the system is actually impacting. That's, I mean, I that's it. And so you're trying, you're, from their perspective, I'm coming from an innocent place. Now, there are people out here that are not all innocent. I want to go ahead and say that. We do have a section of America, which is not much, um, that, that still have these racist ideologies. But for the most part, I think America can all agree that we don't really, we don't do racism, right? I mean, we, we, for the most part, now, there are pockets, I, you know, but for the most part, so, so then the question becomes, well, if, we, if most of us agree on this idea that racism is wrong, then how come most of these systems and these things continue to perpetuate? And it's just because of distance. I don't have a friend who can explain it to me that mm. I can actually talk to that can tell me what I'm missing and what I'm not seeing. What are my blind spots? How does this usually impact you? Um, and so because of that, we're not able to make the changes or the mental shifts that we need to actually de- derail a system. Here's an example, and I'm done. You got me passionate. I-, I have seen systems and organizations, in corporate America, in churches be completely destroyed when, that, when awareness was there. When, 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 when the leader at the top finally got the picture, they, their heart broke for it. And they destroyed any type of limitation that could be in place. And so it works because I've seen it work. But we gotta get, but we we, we have to do what we have to do to get in relationship with one another so that we can actually lead to this path. So.
2: I love it. Well, and Sam, I think that's why as I've heard you and let you influence me in those areas, I see that honesty and that honor together. And I think one of the the biggest issues in our culture is we think you have to be one or the other, right? You have to be honest or honoring. Those are parallel tracks. Yeah. So I do think you can hold that intention. That takes a lot of discernment right now to hold an intention, but we got to move beyond Twitter feeds, right? We got to move into proximity. So thanks for letting me go there. We'll continue to to not just poke at these things, but say, how can we get closer in proximity so that we can begin to understand that awareness? Um, and by the way, thanks for bringing in, uh, two pieces of MLK's ideology that we do not think about much, right. That, that are precursors (laughs) to so many of those things. So man, thanks for that. We have so many different directions we could go. Um, but I'd love to just kind of zoom in on your heart a little bit during this season. You've grown a lot. We all have. You've changed, you've pivoted yourself, your leadership, some of your opportunities. What are you learning? What's God teaching you in this season that you think maybe only could have been taught to you through this crazy pandemic season?
0: I would say um, that there's always room for innovation. That's been the biggest thing for me is when the, you know, people always talk about struggle being the, the greatest breeding ground for creativity, right? Pressure, struggle, um, ten, you know, tension, stress, um, lack. It's the greatest. It's the greatest foundation and atmosphere for creativity. Creativity thrives in in in, in a sense of lack. Um, and I think for me, having to pivot so much every single week you know has shown me that it's possible and that if you can if you can get your mind off of the present day reality of the chaos if you can get it off of that long enough to see the silver lining or the opportunity that exists yes then you you can succeed in any environment but the pressure there and the difficulty there is being able to pause your emotions long enough to get off the chaos and, the, and the, jarring, you know, the jarring nature of change, and especially a change like this in the midst of a pandemic. If you can get your brain and your emotions to pause long enough to see the other side and to see the opportunities, then, um, then, then you can make it. I think an example of that is how we're doing this now, you know, Delta stock. Clummeted at the beginning of this and zooms skyrocketed <laughs> i mean it went through I the room I would have invested we all do and so that's just a great example of like oh wait a minute people are still making money people are still succeeding but it's the companies that have been fashioned to take advantage of the unique opportunities that we find ourselves in right now. So I spent a lot of time doing that. The other thing I would say a little bit more personal is, you know, when change is happening to to folks, man, you got to check your emotions because it
2: hits it. it, I've never seen people be so crazy. (laughs) And that's just talking about me and you today. We're not even talking about anybody else. man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like I remember I had a moment, man, where, I was on, this is
0: the third week of the pandemic. I'm on Facebook. Don't know if you've heard of Beyond Van Zant. She's like a counselor, but she rocks out with Oprah. She's on Facebook, doing a Facebook Live. You know, I feel like she's talking to me, but it's, you know, like 6,000 people on the live. <laughs> and as I'm watching the live, she said, you know, she calls everybody beloved, you know? she's like, And so she says, beloved, <laughs> she says, beloved, things may not be the same ever. Or for a, re- for a very long time. And she said, I just want y'all to sit in that. <laughs> and I'm watching this screen. And she says, how does that make you feel? Tell me where the pressure is. And bro, there was so much pressure on my throat. Like, I didn't even know. She said, tell me where the- and for some people it was, they got it in their head. They got the tension on their left shoulder. For me, yes. it, it sat right there by my Adam's apple. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want you to just, uh, you know, think about where that pressure is right now and do an exercise with me. So she's got to be doing these exercises. We're like turning our hair, breathing in deeply. She says, I want you to release the tension. And, bro, I don't know what happened. But after this live, I felt like a new man. I mean, it was just like, but wow. I didn't even know that I was under the amount of stress that I was under. That's right. In in the midst of this, and so everybody's. I mean, I've I've seen people, you know, draw back into their corners right like people you used to talk to all the time they're just with their family now cuz because it's a sense of safety people you know, people are more moody people are like you said people are you get angrier at the drop of a dime you know there's a sense of abandonment you know there's just survival mode man and so i think that's been the other thing for me that i've learned is that when things kind of when, when when so much change happens at one time um, sometimes it really can rock people and so for me as a leader, what can I do now to not react to people from the place of pain that they're coming from, but to try to see beyond their pain of going, okay, this isn't you. This is the, re- you know, this is a reaction to the circumstance. How can I love you through it, pull you out of it and help us get on the same and give you a little bit of grace even. So
2: hopefully that makes sense, bro. Man, yes. Uh, too much sense, unfortunately, is that we're all carrying stress, anxiety. Uh, normally steady leaders. We are literally trying to piece this plane together as we are flying it. Um, leaders we love you as you're listening to the podcast, as you're watching this on Facebook, we love you. We are going to have Sam back, uh, man, we were going to dig in more to a greater story, but I don't want to miss this moment because our rate of change is extreme, whether we like it or not change or die. Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We're crazy enough to believe that in an upside down world, you can live and lead for the long haul without losing your soul. And uh, Sam, man, thanks for your honesty. You're in so many different spaces. So glad you're holding tension for us, building bridges for others. And man, we can't wait to have you back
1: on the podcast. Alan, you the man. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done. Thank you, man. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. The conversation with Alan and Sam was so rich. It was practical. It was encouraging and it was challenging. And I intend to sit with it and I'll probably listen to it again. And so before we sign off, we want you to know that from everyone at Stay Forth Designs, we're rooting for you. We're encouraging you and we're praying for you. We know that leadership is difficult. Leadership can be challenging. It can be discouraging. And we want to bring you encouragement. We want to help you continue to take next steps towards getting healthier and leading for the long haul, because we do believe that it is possible to live and lead well and to lead right side up in this upside down world. So until next time, we'll see you on another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast.